Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. So, quick apology for not putting out an episode in about uh, a week or so, probably more like two weeks. I mean, it is the holiday season. Things get a little crazy. And before I go any further, happy holidays to all of you. So today we're going to talk about a TV show, a TV series that very recently wrapped up. Um, I started watching it just because, I mean, let's face it, COVID and everything going on. I mean, people are binging stuff left and right. And this was a show that I had seen. Uh, I knew it was generating some buzz. A lot of people were talking about it. And I figured, why not? Today, I'm going to be talking about from the CBC, the Canadian... <clears throat> the Canadian Broadcasting Company. That's kind of like where it started. It was then sent over to Pop TV. Does anybody even remember Pop TV? I barely knew about Pop TV. Um, but when it jumped over to Netflix in I think it's third or fourth season, that's when this show really got a big bump. Of course, I'm talking about Shit's Creek. Like I said, I um, you know I had heard about this show and I don't know, kind of watching some trailers and things for it. I was kind of iffy on it. I mean, you know, mega rich family loses all their money, moves to some podunk town. I mean, I don't know. It kind of seemed a little obvious to me, but it did start Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare, who I find them both to be incredibly, incredibly funny. Uh, for those who don't know, Eugene Levy, probably best known as the dad from the American Pie series, but he's definitely so much more than that. I mean, I don't really think of him as like a leading man in a lot of movies, on a lot of comedy movies. Um, he's definitely more of a supporting role. And I think that's something that's really interesting about this show is, you know, there's really no like one leading character at all throughout the entire series. You know, it's really more the fact that it's it's an ensemble and, you know, especially kind of like in the main players, uh, the the um, the Rose family. I mean, there's really no one star. They're all pretty darn amazing. So, I mean, of course, look, you know, if you haven't seen this show yet, there are going to be some spoilers, but uh, I'll try to talk about it a little bit um spoiler free and when I do get to the spoilers I'll kind of uh, let you guys know because if you haven't seen the show yet I definitely want you to go and check it out so like I said right up front I mean the basic premise of this is mega rich family the Rose family which is Johnny Johnny and Moira Rose who are husband and wife uh, and their two children Alexis and David the show pretty much starts with them having just about everything in their life repossessed uh, it turns out that I believe they used um they used a family member, like um, an uncle, a nephew, somebody like that, to kind of do their financial planning, and the person pretty much embezzled from them, stole everything, really left them in financial ruin. However, you know, one little caveat is is that Johnny, you know, several years before, I guess when they were on the road somewhere, they saw a tiny town called Schitt's Creek, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Schitt's Creek, and, you know, his son thought the name was funny, so Johnny, of course, did what all mega-rich people do, he bought the town. It's actually kind of funny, because the government lets them keep the town and basically say, like, look, you can keep the town, and, you know, that's where you're going to live now. What's really funny is, is, is when it comes up, the 
the family's like, oh my God, you bought a town? Why did you? And he's like, I thought it would be funny, you know, to have a deed to a town called Shit's Creek. And uh, his son David is like, why didn't you just make up a fake deed? Like, I never would have known. But it turns out to be um, a saving grace for them because it gives them a place to live and a place to rebuild. And like I said, it pretty much starts off like you think it would. You know, mega rich family, kind of totally cut off from reality pretty much sent to reality, sent to this place called Shit's Creek. Now, the interesting thing is, is, you know, like I said, Eugene Levy, most of this cast, for that matter, is Canadian. And while they don't really specify, I mean, you could tell that this film, you know, this was filmed in Canada. In fact, looking it up, it was um, it was actually filmed on, lo- on location in a small town called Goodwood, which is, uh, from what I read, just north of Toronto. And you could see it all throughout the show, um, like with cars and things, you could see the Canadian life license plates but it, again it's never really specified you know where this mythical town of Shit's Creek really exists and look I'll be honest when the show first started the first couple of episodes the first three or four episodes I was kind of iffy on it I was like yeah it's kind of funny but it's also kind of typical these characters are really kind of outlandish and you know I don't know I really don't like them very much I mean they're obnoxious rich people and yeah this is kind of funny you know obnoxious rich people out in the middle of nowhere and and the people of the town kind of dealing with them and putting up with them but I don't know something about it you know it just grew on me and I definitely think you know you have to get through the first few episodes you definitely have to kind of get through that first season I mean I think the first season ends pretty well and really from there on in I I think it's an absolute joy to watch because really what you see is you see this pretty much this horrible rich family uh really grow and develop all in their own way so I think this is a good time to say spoiler alert ahead so again if you haven't really watched this show this would be a great time to kind of turn things off uh go watch all six seasons and then come on back and finish up the podcast so like I said the show focuses on the Rose family Johnny and Moira uh Alexis and David and uh David Rose, uh, who played, like I said, he plays the, you know, he's, he's played by Dan Le- uh, Levy, who is Eugene Levy's son. So, you know, father and son created this show. They co-wrote the show and they star as father and son um, on the show. I mean, it, it, the two of them are absolutely amazing. And, and, and that's and that's the thing is, is everybody on the show is absolutely amazing. One of the things that I really did enjoy about it is, is like I was always a fan of uh, Eugene Levy. Uh, I was always a, fair, a fan of Catherine O'Hara. Um, Catherine O'Hara, again, too, you know, she's famous for, you know, being a comedic actress. Um, she's... I would say probably one of her best roles is if you watch Beetlejuice, uh, the family that moves into the house that was owned by um, that was owned by uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. Um, she plays the wife, you know, that's just this over the top rich person. Well, here, oh my God, Catherine O'Hara really gets to shine as Moira Rose. So let's kind of do that. Let's kind of take a look at all the different characters, uh, you know, and just really go from there. So head of the family, Johnny Rose, is Eugene Levy. And I would say that throughout this entire series, he's probably the one who is in the beginning and really throughout is the one who's the most practical. You know, yeah, when he gets there, he's not thrilled about it. I mean, you know, they're not in a five-star hotel. He really doesn't like the accommodations. But I think he's really one of the first ones to learn right away that they're really going to have to make the best of it and they're really going to have to try to make a life there um, to really try to accumulate wealth again if they ever do want to leave and he pretty much goes about the fact that he tries to set up different businesses um 
there's a guy in town named Bob who owns a garage, Bob's Garage. And, um, you know, he tries to lease office space from him there to basically just kind of come up with ideas to really try to get money for the family again. Um, he was the former owner of Rose Video, which is kind of like a blockbuster video type chain. You know, they had video stores, you know, nationwide, probably worldwide. And that's really what their financial empire was built upon. So he figures, you know, he did it before he could do it again. It turns out, you know, the hotel that they're, the motel that they're staying in, um, you know, the, the woman that works there or the girl that works there who goes by the name of Stevie, who again is an incredible character, uh, played by Emily Hampshire. Um, Stevie, it turns out that her, I believe it's her aunt, her great aunt is actually the owner of the motel. Uh, she passes away and she actually leaves Stevie the motel. Stevie, of course, is weighing over her head and really wants to sell it. Now, the Rose family does not want this to happen because they're essentially living there rent free. Um, if the motel gets sold, they're going to be evicted. So initially to kind of, you know, as an act of self-preservation, you know, Johnny says that he'll help out like you know he'll help stevie manage it and everything and then you know kind of with his expertise the motel actually begins to become successful and you know stevie of course feels that she is in way over her head she's really nervous about it because now that the motel is making money she's worried that the rose family is going to leave and kind of leave her stuck there and johnny becomes her partner he becomes her full-time partner he invests you know what little money they have into the motel and you know the two of them form a great partnership and not really just a great partnership uh johnny kind of goes on to become a father figure for stevie um actually you know the rose family in general so let's talk a little bit about stevie before i kind of go any further so like i said we're introduced to stevie is that she runs the motel we find out later on her aunt owns it and eventually she goes on to own it stevie is highly sarcastic um you know razor sharp wit and she is absolutely fascinated with the roses not fascinated by like their wealth or you know their their clothing or anything like that even though her and david become very fast friends and she does love david's clothes um She's just fascinated by, I guess, you know, the, this train wreck that is the Rose family and just trying to watch them fit into this small town society. It's like it's like a reality show come to life. You know, she gets to watch it unfold day in and day out. Like I said, she becomes very fast friends with uh, David. And not for nothing, you know, even though David, uh, you know, the son of Johnny and Moira, even though David is very standoffish and very full of fears and phobias and um, very distrustful of people. And, you know, we find out later on why, because, you know, he had tried to strike out on his own and, you know, if it wasn't for this sort of unseen support of his family, he would have been a failure. Um, his so-called friends kind of saw him as a joke and a failure, you know, and even though he'll deny it, he knows that it's true. He knows that that's how people see him. So he's, of course, very, very insecure. He keeps people at arm's length, but, you know, he and Stevie develop a special bond really because they're kind of almost one in the same. Um, there is an episode where the two of them do get high and David does sleep with her and it leads to probably, you know, one of the most quotable sort of lines coming from David where, you know, really up until that point, David's preferences, shall we say, really wasn't known. Um, David is kind of flamboyant. I shouldn't say kind of flamboyant. David is very, very flamboyant. Um, he doesn't really make any sort of references or allusions to like past romantic um 
romantic involvements, uh, even though he does kind of say that, yeah, he doesn't really do well with relationships. They don't last for very long and whatnot. But we really don't know where he stands. And I think one of the great things about this show is, is that it does kind of tackle issues in the LGBTQ community, uh, especially through David and later on in his fiance, then husband Patrick. Um, they do it and they do it in a great way. They do it in a way that's not in your face. You know, you look at a character of, of David Rose, you know, again, played by Dan Le- Levy, who for many, many years, people kind of questioned Dan Levy, like, hey, what's your deal? What's your orientation? And Dan's like, you know, it's really nobody's business, which not for nothing is very true. You know, what your preferences are in terms of sex and gender really aren't anybody's business at all, but your own. If you would like to share that with people, that's your choice. You know, you shouldn't be made to tell people who you are and, you know, what you are for that matter. So, you know, Dan Levy has always been very secretive about it and basically kind of, you know, just said, listen, you know, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. And he left it at that. Um, I think later on, though, I think after the sixth and final season of Schitt's Creek, when they pretty much swept at the Emmys, uh, he did he did come out as gay. But, um, you know, again, he kind of did it on his own terms and. That's what this show does in terms of the LGBTQ community is everything is on their own terms. So, like I said, after getting high with Stevie and the two of them sleeping together, the next day they're they're going to a party um, thrown by his sister Alexis. And they're at the kind of the town general store buying wine. And Stevie, you know, pretty, excuse me, Stevie pretty much starts off the conversation with, I like red wine. And, you know, David's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure, whatever. And she goes, no, 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 no. I only drink white wine, uh, red wine, sorry. And again, you know, David's like, sure, whatever, you know, like not getting what she's meaning here. And she's like, and up until last night, I thought that you only drank red wine, meaning that David only slept with men. And he, you know, David, of course, picking up on it is like, oh, I see what you're doing here. And he goes into a nice little speech where he basically says that he loves red wine and he loves white wine. And and I'm not a wine person at all, but he basically, and I'm going to really butcher this quote, you definitely have to look it up. He's like, you know, he's like, at one time, uh, you know, I had a Chablis that used to be a Cabernet and this and that, basically alluding to the fact that he is pansexual. And he pretty much finishes up this little, this little thought by saying, you know, for him, it's not the label on the bottle, but it's the wine that he enjoys, me meaning, you know, basically coming out as pansexual, which later in the episode or a few episodes later um, in a conversation that Johnny has with the mayor of the town, Roland Shit, basically says that, you know, David is pansexual. And like I said, you know, with David's whole lifestyle and later when he meets Patrick, uh, Patrick is a young man that comes to town, kind of like thinking, I'll come to this small town, I'll kind of, you know, get my feet wet here, you know, get my career going and move on, but uh, ends up meeting David. Uh, David opens up, uh, takes over the general store, turns it into an apothecary because, of course, he does. Um, Patrick goes into business with him. Patrick actually helps him get his business license and everything, but then goes into business with him, and the two of them do fall in love. And the thing with Patrick is, is up until that point, Patrick had been very, very confused. Um, He had been engaged several times to a young girl, but it just never felt right for him. And meeting David, he really started to realize who he was and what he was. And 
there's a really great episode where, you know, eventually um, David and Patrick are going to get married. Uh, that's pretty much the entire sixth season or one of the big plot lines in the sixth season is their wedding. And on Patrick's birthday, David decides to throw him a surprise party because, you know, Patrick has never had a surprise party and he really, really wants one. And David thinks it'll be great if he invites his parents in and they could let them know that they're engaged and going to be married. And the thing is, is that David assumes that Patrick has told his parents about them because, you know, David has spoken with them. And David quickly realizes it that when they show up to the motel and um, Johnny meets them and talks with them and basically kind of spills the beans that they're more than business partners, you know, David realizes that Patrick has never come out to them. And it's a great episode. It's really, really a great episode where David kind of tries to smooth things over. And his family, his parents basically tell him that they're not upset, they're not mad that Patrick is gay, they're just upset that he didn't have the courage to tell them, and they, they feel that they did something wrong, that maybe they intimidated him, maybe they, they kind of championed like a heteronormative life, and they feel bad about that, and... You know, it ends with with Patrick coming out to his parents and his parents, you know, loving and accepting him. And then Patrick, of course, knowing his parents, realizes that, you know, David had already spilled the beans on it. And it was a great episode. And that episode ends with, you know, um, putting up numbers to different hotlines. You know, if you have questions about your sexual identity coming out or, you know, if you you feeling stressed or, or sad about you know, the state of, of, of your life and your sexual orientation, you know, you find things very, very hard to give numbers to like the Trevor Project and other, you know, similar, similar hotlines that help, you know, the LGBTQ community. And like I said, they do it, you know, they tackle those issues of sexuality and gender in such a great way. It's not in your face. It's just, it's actually the way it should be. Everything is just really normal. But the, you know, like I said, the Rose family is anything but normal. So we talked a little bit about Johnny and David. Uh, let's talk about Moira. Actually, before we talk about Moira, because I think Moira is kind of a category all unto herself. Let's talk about the other daughter, the younger daughter, Alexis. Alexis is your typical spoiled rich girl. I mean, she's like a very Paris Hilton type. And the whole thing with Alexis is, is we find out that pretty much really from the get go, this girl's been on her own. She tells fantastical stories about traveling the globe and getting into a lot of trouble, um, you know, ending up in the trunk of the car of a sheik that tried to kidnap her, uh, negotiating for the release of her friend from a drug lord in Thailand, uh, this and that. You know, she's had this outrageous lifestyle that her parents seemed totally oblivious to, but David, of course, was not because... There is an episode, I think it's when David has to get his driver's license, and he's very, very neurotic about it. And Alexis, who, of course, has gone through all this, I mean, David is very nervous about taking his driver's test because somebody is going to watch him. And she's like, you know, David, try getting your driver's license in a burqa in the middle of Saudi Arabia. You know, Alexis is like, look, I can handle stress because my whole life has been stressful situations, and she definitely deals with, like, every sort of stressful situation with, like, a laugh and a smile. And she basically says to David, like, you know, w when she helps him get his license, you know, she's she kind of expresses the fact that she's very upset that the family just never seemed to care about her. And, you know, she's at a very young age traveling the world and getting into some really crazy situations. And David kind of says to her, he's like, yeah, maybe mom and dad didn't, but I did, because whenever you reached out for help, 
I was the one that helped you, you know, uh, that one time when you were at the embassy and wherever, and I had to send you your passport and I waited for days and I had no idea what was going to happen to you. He's like, that's why I'm so neurotic. That's why I'm so stressed because, you know, I'm the one in this family that worries about everybody. It's definitely a great episode, but like I said, Alexis is your classic, you know, spoiled rich girl. Um, and you think that, oh, my God, she's going to have such a hard time adjusting to life here in Schitt's Creek. I would say out of everybody in the Rose family and some of the other characters, you know, in Schitt's Creek, Alexis is the one that really grows and develops the most. Uh, she goes from this very spoiled girl who really has, you know, no intention of ever getting a job. She figures her best way out of Schitt's Creek is to find a handsome, rich guy and marry him. And she does in the town veterinarian, Ted. Uh, Ted is a very, you know, he's a young, handsome veterinarian, very successful, very innocent and earnest. And in the first, I believe it's the first season, you know, she starts a relationship with him and uh, pretty much with the intention of she's going to get him to marry her so she can kind of escape this horrible life. Um, you know, the, um, <laughs> the engagement kind of gets botched because... She will get engaged to him, but then it looks like the Rose family is actually going to sell the town to another buyer and they'll be leaving, but that deal totally, totally falls through. So Alexis is kind of stuck and she breaks off not once, but twice her engagement to Ted. Uh, later on in the series, though, she does realize that she does love Ted. Uh, she goes to work for him. Ted actually believes in her. Ted convinces her to go back and finish and get her high school diploma because Alexis never did that. Alexis is then inspired to go to community college to earn a degree and decides that she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life working in a, in a veterinarian office. She actually wants to be a publicist. And, you know, starting with managing her mother's career, she goes from there. And by the end of the show, um, she lands a, you know, very high-profile job as a publicist in New York City because she did such a great job of managing her mother's career. Alexis is probably one of my favorite characters on the show because, you know, I mean, every single character here is totally quotable, uh, especially David and Alexis, but Alexis is the one that really, really grew. She started off with dating Mutt, who was kind of like the town hot guy, bad boy. I hated Mutt, and I was glad to see him go. Um, she then strung along Ted really with the intention of just, you know, using him so she can get out of the town, but then, you know, getting stuck there in that town, she realized that she had to grow and develop and she absolutely did. I mean, she retained a lot of her mannerisms and quirks and she was a little bit oblivious to the fact that not everybody around her was as well to do as she was, but, you know, she formed, you know, great friendships, especially with Twyla, um, the girl who was the waitress at the only cafe in town um she has a much better relationship with her mother who we see in the beginning the two of them really don't get along very well at all and they do form a good friendship um like i said going back to high school going to college you know making something of herself that by the end of the show She's the one that goes off to New York to this, you know, really high paying, important job. And she knows she can do it because she realized that in the six seasons that they were there in um, Schitt's Creek, she really, really grew the most. This brings us to Moira Rose. Moira Rose played by the incredible Catherine O'Hara. I mean, this character is simply amazing. Uh, Moira was a star, um, a soap opera star 
and pretty much is one of these actresses sort of in the twilight of her career. Um, she speaks with, and this was great. There was an episode where, you know, Johnny already is a uh, part owner of the motel and everything. And he and Stevie have to go out on business. So he asks Moira to kind of watch the front desk for him. And uh, somebody comes in to check in and Moira is incredibly rude to him in just, just complete and utter Moira fashion, let's just say. And later on, Johnny gets upset because, you know, this particular patron wrote a bad review on Yelp. And, and Johnny's like, look, we're trying to start a business here. You know, one bad review could really, really sink us. So, you know, they read the review and it says, oh my God, it's so funny. It says, um, it says an incredibly rude woman of indeterminate accent. And that is absolutely Moira. She kind of speaks with sort of like this upper crust, partly British, partly, you know, well-to-do sort of accent. She has an extensive vocabulary. She's incredibly dramatic and she loves her wigs. She has about 50 wigs. Each single one of them has a name. There's a whole story behind all her wigs. Every scene she's in, she is wearing a different wig. She is dressed, you know, she's dressed to the nines. She's dressed in very expensive but outlandish clothing. Um, Moira starts, starts off pretty much like expecting Johnny to get them out of there. Um, you know, midway through the show, she decides to run for city council. Um, and, you know, she initially does it just to kind of get that feeling of popularity and people knowing her name. And it turns out she actually wins because the only other person, you know, running for the vacant seat on the city council is Jocelyn, who's the wife of the mayor, Roland. And she realized Jocelyn realizes that she's in way over her head and she pretty much, you know, pulls herself out of the election, leaving Moira to be, you know, the only one Moira is initially not happy, but she actually ends up making the best of it. Um, Moira kind of goes on to really realize that, look, you know, Hollywood is not going to come calling for her again until it does. She gets cast in a, in a film called The Crows Have Eyes 3, The Croning, which is definitely a direct-to-DVD movie uh, shot on location in Bosnia. Uh, she goes out there. She makes the best of it. Um, everybody involved in the projects is pretty much like, look, you know, whatever. We're being hired. We're being paid. This is a crap movie. And Moira's like, no, 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 no. When I was on my soap opera... We were given some horrendous scripts. She's like, you know, but if you're going to be in the arts, and she says this in her very own unique way, I do not do it justice. I'm not even going to try to impersonate Moira. But she basically says, you know, if you're involved in the arts, you have to put everything into it, you know, and you have to make the best out of it. So her and the director do a bunch of rewrites, you know, she, not for nothing, she actually acts her butt off. And the film gets picked up by Interflix, which is, of course, a hint at Netflix. Um... You know, uh, I'm sure if, if you, you know, if you're on social media at all, you know, a lot of TV shows and things like that, especially the CW, because I follow a lot of the shows on the CW, um, they allow their actors to kind of take over Instagram for a day where they, you know, in, in on behalf of the show or, or project that they're involved in 
do different posts and everything. So they asked Moira to do this. Alexis teaches her how to do this. And of course, Moira screws it up and ends up live streaming a conversation she has with David because David has begun wetting the bed again. It generates tremendous buzz. Uh, with Alexis's help, you know, Moira is actually able to create a lot of buzz and um, The Crows Have Eyes 3 becomes like the top film on Interflix. Because of this, her old soap opera comes calling. They want to do a reboot. And again, because of this, Interflix is very interested in Alexis as a publicist because she did such an amazing job taking basically an unknown film bringing it to the forefront and resurrecting her mother's career in, in the process. So like I said, overall, Schitt's Creek is an absolutely amazing show. Um, yes, it starts off slow. It's a little tough to watch in the beginning. Get through those first couple of episodes, get through that first season, and you won't be disappointed. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys later. You remember when you were young.